Welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast. Today, Giant Talk is delighted to be joined by David Cicerelli, CEO and founder of Voices, one of the biggest online marketplaces for voiceovers. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of strategic alignment and the process that Voices goes through in their strategic planning process. So welcome to Giant Talk, David. I'm delighted to have you with us for today's Hello, episode. Really great to be here. Thank you. Please, can you tell our listeners, before we get into um, the conversation, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Happy to do so, and I'll certainly keep it brief. You know, growing up, I uh, was always fascinated with sound. And so when I, uh, you know, graduated from high school, I actually wanted to uh, pursue a a career in music or audio production. So I went to a specialized school learning how to record and mix and produce uh, music and audio of all kinds, and then opened up a small recording studio that uh, actually got my name in the local newspaper on my birthday of all days. And that's how I met Stephanie. And Stephanie's my wife and co-founder in the company that we now run, uh, Voices.com. Uh, she was a classically trained singer, and she'd sing at weddings and funerals and special events. And I was the engineer. And so we started working together initially to record her singing repertoire. But because of that same newspaper article, and it shows you the power of local publicity, uh, that I was able to uh, attract other small businesses that wanted a female voice to record some commercials. So knowing one uh, young lady in the city, that was Stephanie, I asked her to come back down to the studio. Uh, I'll be the engineer and she'll be the uh, voice talent. And we'll split the money 50-50. So that's how we ended up working together. Um, we soon created a, uh, a website that promoted Stephanie and that actually attracted other freelance voice talent, people who spoke different languages from different parts of the world, who even had different accents. And uh, at the same time, uh, clients would say, how do we get in touch with these people? I see their name. I can listen to a sample of their voice. And that was the entrepreneurial aha moment. Wow, what if we get out of the recording studio business ourselves and instead pivot and run this online marketplace? Let's facilitate these transactions between buyer and seller, between that client who's looking to tell their story and the freelance voice talent who's got a great voice and is looking for work to uh, pursue a career. And so that's what we've been doing for almost the better part of uh, 15 plus years. Um, and it's been quite an amazing journey along the way. Thank you, David. It's really interesting to, to hear how Voices was started. I think it's a really nice story. And I think for anyone out there listening to, to Giant Talk on this episode that has been involved in sort of video production and listened to and looked for a voiceover, I think it's it's amazing now the amount of different voiceovers available and you can actually ask for and search for and completely do- certain accent um from places all around all around the globe so i think you know to, to fit your, your target audience i think that's really interesting i love that you said target audience carly because <laughs> what we found is that clients um and as you said video producers mostly want to hire somebody who sounds like the people they're trying to reach yeah. So if if it is from a certain, you know, ethnicity, a certain, you know, region of the world, maybe somebody who's familiar with the terminology and it sounds very natural, that's the kind of person that you want to hire. A, you know, age demographic as well too. Um and so if you're trying to reach a more mature or even elderly or senior audience, then you should be hiring somebody 
to provide the voice, almost as that audio ambassador, right? They're, they're, you know, kind of putting forth that important message on behalf of your organization. So I love that you brought up target audience because that's what our research finds and that we see it um, happening every day through the jobs that are posted on voices.com. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we've been looking at most recently um, and for a new video that, that we're that we're launching at, at There Be Giants. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. So I want to start by getting into the conversation um, and I'm going to start by asking you by defining strategy. What, what exactly does that mean? Well, for me, strategy uh, has a very specific definition. I've had the great uh, pleasure of uh, pursuing continued education through an executive education program at Harvard Business School. And uh, you can imagine that they're going to have a uh, very academic definition of what strategy means. And so really what it is, is the integrated set of choices that a business makes to differentiate itself from its competitors to deliver long-term and superior results. So if I could break that down, if the important part is the set of choices, because your everyday, uh, you know, I think I read somewhere online that, we, that, that the average adult makes upwards of 30,000 decisions every day from what do I wear? What do I eat? What time do I get up in the morning? Um, and then of course, the more meaningful decisions as uh, we face during our business day. Uh, and in a work context. So if strategy at a corporate level is the collective decisions that we're making, we also need to make sure that they are an integrated set of choices. They're self-reinforcing, if you will. Um, we don't want the decisions that lead one part of the organization into one direction, and then everyone's scratching their head going, why are they moving over there? And, and we're diverting resources. So as I say, we want these integrated set of choices. And uh, that differentiate yourself from the competitors. The set of choices that you need to be making should actually be different than what your competitors are doing. And everybody has competitors, whether they're direct competitors, whether they're um, adjacent, maybe it's another industry that might be veering into your space. It could even be the competitive tension sometimes you have with your suppliers or vendors that you work with. But the disruptive competitors would be those alternatives or substitutes that kind of come out of nowhere. Often, you know, in copywriting, for example, there's a whole new wave of AI-based copywriting. You know, I've seen these articles on The Guardian that's like, this article is, you know, written by an AI. And you think, wow, I mean, really entirely? Um, perhaps there was a little light touch editing at the end, but the, the bulk of it um, was done by AI. And so there are, that would be an alternative um, as opposed to uh, thinking that yet, you know, if we're a copywriting or a marketing firm, um, you know, stock photography versus, you know, um, you know, uh, professional uh, custom photography. So there's a lot of parallels. So I, I would challenge um, those listening to think about who their competitors are. It's not just who does the exact same thing of you. It's actually more likely to be the disruptive ones coming from those alternatives. So the choices that you make need to be um, self-reinforcing and differentiate you from all those competitors that we just talked about. Thank you for, for unpacking that and just explaining and, and, and getting us started in this conversation about what strategy actually means. You mentioned their integration and I think that obviously sort of ties in with um, being aligned. So one thing that I just wanted to, to ask you, what would you say are the telltale signs that an organization hasn't 
achieve strategic alignment. Well, one of the things I've uh, heard over the years, which perhaps is a reflection of uh, an opportunity for my own improved communication, but if, if you ever hear people, especially those on your leadership or executive team asking, what is, what's our strategy? What's our strategy here? And I think that kind of questioning, do we even have one, implies that as a leader, maybe we haven't been clear about the direction of our company. What are those key choices that, you, that you're going to make? So in our business, just to give an example of what a key choice would be um, and these kind of self-reinforcing choices, um, we choose to operate an online platform um, that is not mimicking the businesses, the traditional business of a kind of a pipeline business model. So pipeline businesses are very linear and platforms really are very flat and operate online. That's very free flowing information. Pipelines, there's a lot of, you know, gatekeepers of, of information. It's, it's linear in its flow. It's kind of a, a value chain. Each person kind of takes their piece of the pie. So that is a choice we're making. We're going to make, we're going to operate as a, as a platform. Um, you know, another business might say, well, we're going to, maybe it's a restaurant. We're only going to operate within certain geographic boundaries. Maybe we're going to operate within uh, a certain, you know, hours of the day or have certain items on our menu. So whatever these choices are, I think that needs to be communicated out because that really is the basis um, of your strategy. So that's kind of a red flag that indicates really from the top down, there's either misalignment, there's disagreement or uncertainty of kind of what are these big choices that we're making that, that ultimately drive the direction. And any of that, if it's happening on the executive team, you can be sure it's going to cascade down to the rest of the organization. So even if people aren't verbalizing it, maybe their actions are indicating that there isn't alignment. Just because someone doesn't talk about it doesn't mean there isn't an issue. It, it's probably maybe speaks to actually a bigger problem, Carly, where the team doesn't feel comfortable to ask these type of questions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, whether they're explicit about challenging, do we even have a strategy, or you're not hearing any discussion around strategy, I think those are a couple uh, telltale signs that an organization hasn't yet achieved strategic alignment. Yeah, I think this, like you said, there's some good, um, I guess, red flags there to to spot whether or not you currently have strategic alignment. And I think it's important communication, communication, communication. It's key. Um, and as I think we'll talk a little bit later about, especially with organisations where not everyone is in the office or together, and it's keeping that communication with remote teams or or in a hybrid situation. Um, can you talk us a little bit, talk us through a little bit about the strategic planning process that you follow yourself at Voices? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like most organizations, uh, there's, you know, somewhat of a methodology, um, if you will. And um, this has been developed initially by an external consulting firm that was kind of brought into our organization. And, you know, the, the headline is there's four steps. The first one is learning, then thinking, then deciding and then planning to act. And so just to unpack this one as well, if I may, I think it'll be really instructive for those listening. Learning really is, is going to happen, you know, kind of what's happening out there in the industry, in the world. Um, you're doing a current state assessment. Look at the previous year, you know, and, and um, you know, are we on track? 
Uh, are we hitting our revenue numbers? Are we within our budget? So that's kind of learning from the internal view. But we also want to combine that with uh, an external view, maybe draw out some themes. Um, what are the important changes that have happened in the world that might be impacting our business? So often an exercise in this would be the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But an alternative view of that, because SWOT is very much looking at your direct kind of competitors and it's kind of your interaction with them. Um, but the other one is um, is the acronym is PESTLE, P-E-S-T-L-E. And uh, this is political, environmental, social, technological. Maybe there's a legal environment. There's an uh, economic environment. So you want to be considering all of these external forces that might have an impact on your business. And therefore, do you need to respond? So I think combining the internal view and doing all that assessment, everything from the, the customer satisfaction scores, your employees engagement surveys, and as well as the actual numbers of how you're performing. And then uh, continuing that learning with, you know, combining that with what's happening out there in the world. Somewhere along the way, you actually need to sketch out, even in rough form, the desired future state. And so again, having this in this learning phase, where is it that we want to be? Now, you might be starting to sketch out as well um, the you know the, what, what some kind of future growth opportunities might look like. But I think that important phase, which might kind of take a couple of weeks time in just being in the learning, that's going to set you off on the right trajectory right from the get-go. So that's kind of step one. Then I would move into the thinking, which is answering the questions, well, what could we do in response to what's happening out there? You definitely want to solidify your your vision and mission, you know, we don't want to be changing these every year, but we also want to make sure that, you know, people are nodding heads and in agreement that this is, again, the the big kind of the what and the why we do what we do are still relevant. Um, if there are big core objectives that are carried forward from last year, uh, like core strategic objectives, those should also be, we want to think through those and then perhaps start to think about quantifying those growth opportunities and initiatives. Are there any ones we want to carry forward or are there other ones we want to consider and add? When adding, that's going to show up as an idea cloud is what we call it. Basically, it's a brainstorming session. For us, we use a giant spreadsheet um, and everyone contributes to it. Every leader has their own tab. Now, we don't spend a lot of time at this phase in the just kind of thinking, like kind of initial brainstorm in terms of doing a, a thorough business case or sizing it up, we actually just use a simple t-shirt sizing approach. So is this an extra large opportunity or is it an extra small opportunity? And that saves a lot of unnecessary cycles um, in terms of investigation and analysis, because why spend a lot of time on a handful of extra small opportunities that may not move the needle? Um, so we just try to get it to that stage. And then just rounding this out briefly would be the deciding well, you know, this kind of means that now we do get into the business case uh, and, you know, further evaluate those growth opportunities. We want to lock them down, make those decisions together, and then start to introduce the questions around, are there any new organizational, um, you know, changes that need to happen in terms of organizational structure, or org design, new roles entirely that need to be uh, contemplated? And that then feeds into the planning to act. And really, this is, you know, again, the 
probably the budgeting cycle, uh, cycle as well too. Um, you know, uh, you making sure that we have a corporate scorecard that we're, we have at least some notion of, I mean, we, we, we do certainly button it up, but we want to make sure that we have those key performance indicators like clear, uh, at that point and then planning to act before the year begins. Uh, we do a strategic plan preview. Um, so those have been at voices for a number of years. They've, there's a lot of familiar, you know, slides and content. And I think that's actually a good thing. It means we're not moving in a different direction every single year. So while there's some repeat themes, there's definitely some new initiatives. So we preview that in December and then do a, a bigger kickoff once our board uh, has approved the budget and the strategic plan in January. So that's our process. Hopefully that, uh, as I say, say, instructive and helpful to those listening. Yeah, I think it's quite um, a succinct four-step um, process. Obviously, there's a lot that goes in, into each step. Um, I was nodding along when you mentioned the pestle and the SWAT. It takes me back to my marketing um, university days and, you know, just knowing how important it is to look at in the learning stage what's happening out there. And I was thinking when you were talking about that, whether or not the learning stage has maybe taken a little bit longer um, given what's been happening over the past couple of years um, and still happening. I know obviously we, you know, things are changing all of the time. Um, but yeah, I wondered whether that has that, has it changed how you've approached any of those stages over the past two and a bit, well, two yeah, years now? I, I think it's actually a really good question um, around has the, you know, the process is still intact, but you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. I would say the learning phase is, it, it doesn't have to be a distinct, okay, we're going to learn during the, about the market in these mm -hmm. month or two months of the year. In fact, um, Peter Drucker, uh, who's a management consultant and, and very kind of famous in, uh, you know, management circles, if you will, wrote in a, probably the most prolific writer on the subject. He describes the role of the CEO is to is to bridge the outside world with the inside world mm -hmm. so to bridge what's happening out there in the economy your market your customers how, you know what your board of directors are feeling any other advisors or consultants and then bringing that to the inside world your employees your team the leadership team and so uh, as myself as the ceo i feel like i'm always learning i'm myself listening to podcasts, I'm, you know, reading, uh, you know, staying uh, up to date on the latest news and technological innovations. And so whatever sources of information that you have, and uh, you, you tend to kind of accumulate these and start to formulate what you view, uh, develop a thesis, if you will, of what are the big changes that we need to, um, you know, face or adapt to over the next year. So for me, it, you're absolutely right. It's been a a more prolonged process. Mm -hmm. And then even during kind of when we, you know, quote unquote, kick off uh, strategic planning session uh, and, and season, if you will, kind of during, um, you know, April, May timeframe for the subsequent year. You're right. That has been a little bit longer of a process just be, uh, over the last couple of years, just because so much has been changing. Um, you know, even something as, as straightforward as deciding, are we, how much time in the field, either, one-on-one -on -one with customers or uh, attending events, how much time kind of outside the office are we going to be spending? 
And that's hard to decide at one moment in time mm-hmm. if, if um, you know, the policy and kind of uh, changes uh, country to country. So that's been an, an area where I think um, all organizations are just wise to uh, stay nimble as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And I think you've touched on it there, mentioning um, April and May when you start to look at um, the, the whole process. And my next thought was, how often do you go through this process? So I'm assuming it is a, a yearly process and you get you're coming up to I mean, we're, we're middle of, well, I'm going to say middle of Feb now. Um, you're starting to think about the planning process for, for the next year. Yeah, well, we, you're right. We, we run this annually. Um, and however, there's actually two processes that are running concurrently. And I think they're symbiotic. One is planning for the next year. As I said, kind of starting that in, in May um, mm-hmm. and we like to put the time in the calendar just to have that commitment where it's everyone knows that these are really kind of like half day sessions, um, if you will, and there's pre-work to be done ahead of time. Um, so there's the planning for the next year, but let's not forget, remember we did this last year as well too. So we also need to track the plan of our current year. Um, and that's done on a monthly basis, looking at our numbers. Um, each quarter, we do a bit of a deeper dive for some of the key projects, uh, like the bigger projects, key initiatives, and so forth. And then um, there's certainly kind of um, status check-ins that happen regularly throughout the year for the current year that you're in that provides ample opportunity for that, which is the topic today, strategic you know, alignment or maybe even realignment if necessary. Is this still are we still tracking according to plan? Is this initiative that we were going to start halfway through the year, is this still relevant? I think it's okay to uh, have those healthy discussions. So while it's annually, there's actually you know two years going on, the current mm-hmm. year and the next year that uh, no, we need to be both uh, be mindful of. Yeah, no, of course, that, that makes sense. And do you use OKRs in the strategic planning process? And can you tell me a little bit about if you do how how you use OKRs in, in the process. Yeah, sure. We certainly do. I mean, the objectives themselves aren't for us necessarily going to change dramatically year to year. Our objectives, um, which we would kind of define through metrics, but would look like something like, you know, financial performance growing at 30% year over year. Um, and then breaking that down. Um, we've, um, and, and then, you know, and that financial performance might be revenue. There also might be a, budget number there might be a, a profitability metric as well too so but the the key of the, the overarching objective there is to deliver financial performance according to the board approved plan um, now i would caution against this actually reinventing the objectives every single year um, because you don't want to you know kind of have this rip up the paper from the last year start again one i think it's tremendously inefficient and also unfortunately it can be disorienting um, to the rest of the organization. Even if you're in a small to medium-sized business, you know, 10 employees to 100 employees, I think it's it, it would it would be quite, uh, to reuse the term, disorienting and, and may cause uh, further uh, strategic misalignment because it kind of keeps people on their toes and in, 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 in maybe like, I don't know what's going to be going on next year. And so we want to create some stability in a world of chaos and you can do that in um, your having these kind of ongoing 
um, tried and true objectives. Where I think um, there is change every year is the uh, those initiatives of how to achieve the objective. Uh, that tends to be kind of what changes, at least in our organization. Um, even the key results or the, well, the targets will change, often increasing. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they become more granular. Um, we might just be really trying to move a particular segment, maybe of our customer base, or a uh, you know pursue a new marketing um, channel, and therefore there's a collection of initiatives around that. So th- that's almost more of the like how. So if I think of the objective as the what are we doing, um, uh, those key results and the initiatives are the well, how specifically are we going to achieve that? So because of this, we we do uh, admittedly spend a lot more time in the planning phase, ironing out those uh, key initiatives that support those longstanding objectives. Um, for us last year, it was really all about expanding uh, into new creative service categories from voiceover to audio production. So let's call that a, like a lateral or a, a you know, a service category expansion, mm-hmm. um, which is a common vector of growth for businesses. For some other ones, you know, it might be geographic expansion. Um, this year, we're kind of just dialing it back and actually saying that we're going to be looking more at some internal optimization improvements. Um, you could have a whole year focused on pricing. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely themes that emerge um, uh, throughout that. So we definitely use OKRs, I think, is the is the takeaway there. Um, and that they're done. So and I kind of the objective part of it is really set at the out, uh, is set at the beginning of that strategic um, planning process. Um, and, uh, and and then kind of filling in those gaps with more details as we refine the plan. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the biggest benefit that you see of using OKRs in, in the strategic planning process? Yeah, well, but perhaps some perhaps some state in the obvious here. I think the first, the biggest benefit is the whole team is aligned in mm-hmm. terms of corporate direction. Um, but it also serves as a decision making matrix. You know, it goes back to all these decisions that we need to make every day. You know, what is what is the what is that kind of source of truth of directionally where are we going and how are we measuring our success? So the vision and mission might um, will tell you directionally where you're going. Um, the, your values as in, in an organization will determine kind of how you behave, the rules of operating, if you will. Um, and then the the OKRs are actually will will further refine the decision making, uh, you know, almost like more uh practically on a day-to-day basis. So individually, it does provide the direction on how much time we should spend on a project, um, maybe even which projects to prioritize, uh, which, if any, customer feedback should be escalated. Um, So because if you're really honed in on a particular key result that you want to deliver, and that's communicated out Time and time again, we talk about communication earlier, you know, on a, on a monthly basis, if not more frequently, kind of in the right venues. Um, then I think it's, it, it actually, it, it, it signals, I think, to the entire organization that we are walking the walk, that when we say we want to move, you know, our net promoter score as an example, and we are talking about stories, uh, we have a team meeting called the, called the huddle. We have a section in this huddle um, uh, that is dedicated to customer impact. 
And we're trying to reinforce these stories that we have a positive impact on the lives of our customers. And sometimes, uh, and, and these are often the same people who are, are advocates or promoters out there as well, too. So I do my best to try to tie these uh, try tie these all together. So yeah, it's, I mean, those are some of the benefits. They're going to ground you. They're going to give you alignment um, and help you make a better decision and really reinforce your convictions on the direction of your business. Yeah, definitely some good benefits there, especially with alignment being the key one. Um, with the move to remote and hybrid working, and I know that you're in your office at the moment, you see your nice office um, and not all of your team team are I know when we spoke previously some are at home and some are, some are in the office and it's definitely a hybrid way that you work at the moment what effect has this had on your strategic planning if any at all yeah well there's there's definitely been some pros and cons um, <laughs> the, the pros all of the pre-work that needs to be done has actually been quite efficient so you know, we don't just say, you know, date on the calendar, show up kind of empty handed. There's an expectation that you're coming with those initial market findings or other observations, customer stories, anecdotes, you know, we're, we're coming with that um, information prepared and packaged up. Even sometimes could be a presentation, it could be a single data, uh, like a report, but all of that I found in a remote environment has actually been quite efficient. Desktop research, having time for some deep thinking, all of that's gone over really well um, while working remote or at home because people have time to sit down and think about their ideas, um, maybe even um, put them into a spreadsheet, if you will. The cons, I would say, are the long virtual sessions. Those have been really challenging on people's attention spans, myself included. I think... Um, just sitting in a chair is one thing, but then staring at a screen, mm-hmm. I think, have been um, has been challenged. We've come up with some ways to overcome this. I mean, we've had some in-person sessions for those big uh, kind of half-day uh, meetings when pandemic restrictions have uh, have permitted, uh, and then the other kind of check-ins, the one-hour kind of here and there, or you know, just quickly running through the pre-work of what's expected. That might be fifteen minutes, half an hour. Um, those, of course, can all be done virtually. But we've been able to talk through the corporate objectives, um, you know, uh, is, is, and refine those over sometimes a series of smaller meetings, as opposed to the the one moment of truth where it all kind of comes together. Um, but I'd say, you know, virtual, pl- uh, you know, pl- strategic planning in a virtual environment. At least my observation, it just doesn't have the same momentum as being an in person. You know, everything from just technological kind of glitches and Wi-Fi not working and having to share presentations. It's just not quite, um, quite as smooth. So we do, um, you know, make the effort to minimize those hindrances, but more importantly, we make the effort to uh, encourage people to come together so we can have those healthy debates and kind of go back and forth and mm-hmm. kind of read body language and get a feel for what the, with the senses in the room, kind of the words that are unspoken as, as much they're spoken, that is going to happen uh, much better being in person. Yeah, definitely. I think an honest answer um, on the remote hybrid situation. I think I don't think I'd be surprised if there's anyone listening that hasn't felt Zoom fatigue over the past two years or so. Um, but it sounds like you found a good workaround um, and hopefully now 
um, we can benefit from everyone sort of being back together <laughs> again. Um, I wanted to ask you, I guess, a sort of lasting point for our listeners. For those who are listening that maybe have some difficulty in aligning their strategy, can you give um, some pointers pointers or some words of advice? Yeah, well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, we're, we're, we're on a journey. And therefore, first, I would advise to commit to the time. I'd block off times in people's calendars for um, for everyone, uh, if it's the leadership team or anybody else that's going to be attending to those crucial planning meetings early on. And we're early on in the year. If you're even thinking about next year, um, you can get that time in the calendar before vacation starts cropping up before other, um, you know, uh, you know, other initiatives are, uh, you know, kind of, uh, encroach on the calendar book them all in advance. There might be four or five sessions, but if you get them in advance, then it's very clear what the expectation is. If you're in leadership, it's your responsibility to be consistently looking ahead and planning um, this. So that would be my first uh, word of advice. Uh, the next one would be actually, if you if you can, um, there is a tremendous benefit to having a um, a facilitator who's outside your organization. If if the struggle is around alignment and maybe there's differences of opinion or perhaps two different views of the direction that the organization should or could go in um, by having a facilitator, they can serve as that neutral party um, and, uh, and actually guide the conversation forward. Um, So I think we've worked with facilitators for years. Uh, We also, I think have um, developed really strong and respectful relationships on our executive team where uh, our VP of people and operations actually is the facilitator. The only downside, uh, although we try to make a point to overcome is that then um, she is unable to participate. You know, it's kind of like she has to keep switching which hat she's um, wearing, but most of the time she's the, she's the facilitator and it does keep the conversation going just so we don't spend a half day or an hour even on a particular topic when there's a pretty healthy agenda. So committing to the time working with a facilitator or appointing a facilitator who's going to keep um, uh, keep it moving. And then um, I would I would suggest that during those sessions that there's really three almost like modes of operating and uh, it's kind of our same three rules, uh, three three kinds of meetings, discuss, debate, and decide. So I call it the three D's of, of every meeting. And know what phase you're in. Is this just a discussion in which case it's going to be much more free flowing? Um, some of the sessions will be debating, in which case you're purposely looking at both sides of an issue. And then there is a time for decision. Now, when it comes to that decision to create the alignment that we all want, we need to debate and then decide and then unify. So even if there's tension initially uh, and some misalignment, we want to make sure that as leaders, we're walking out of that strategic planning session unified and um, coming in, coming, c- coming out to the rest of the organization on a consistent front to the point where we agree. Um, we have the same language. We know the same um, key initiatives, the same set of priorities um, for the next year. And the lastly, the best way to kind of make sure that that is 
absolutely crystal clear is just to put it all in writing. Even if it boils down to a 20 or 30 page document or slideshow, it doesn't need to be hundreds of pages, but it kind of the executive summary could even be five pages. You'll have it all in one place. It'll be a unified resource um, for the company go to go back to and reference. I like to use presentations um, in Google Slides or PowerPoint because you can repurpose those slides. And for future training sessions, the quarterly check-ins, any town halls. And uh, I just think slides are a little bit more visually appealing. Um, and it actually turns into a reusable artifact for other members uh, in the organization. So uh, that's where we put all of our um, strategic plan in writing. Um, and uh, as I say, I think, I think that makes sure that uh, we're all crystal clear on the direction of the company. Thanks, David. I think there's definitely some, some good words of advice there. I think planning, looking ahead, um, but not only that, but sticking and committing to, to the time um, is really important. And I think the, the um, facilitator aspect as well, I think that's something for anyone listening to, to look into to that option. Um, it's been really interesting to hear how voices conduct their strategic planning process. So thank you for talking talking to us today. And thank you to our Giant Talk listeners for joining another episode of Giant Talk. As always, we'd love to hear feedback from you if there's anything that you'd like to find out more about or listen to on our podcast. Please do get in touch with us at growth at therebegiants.com. Once again, thank you, David. And we'll be back soon. Thanks, Carly.